Welcome, my name is Pastor Scotty Bockhaus, and we thank you for taking some time to listen to some audio recordings from the pulpit of the Riverview Baptist Church. Our desire is to show the Lord high, holy, and lifted up, as well as try to be a blessing to those through the Word of God. Please enjoy this message, and we pray that it will be a blessing to your life. And if you wouldn't mind to take your copy of the Word of God and turn with me to the book of Exodus, the Old Testament book of Exodus, the second book in the Bible, and Exodus in chapter number 17. Exodus in chapter number 17. As we're traveling with the life and ministry of Moses, we can almost see that there are natural divisions within his life. We could see that beforehand, we could see God working with Moses to use him as a deliverer to the people. And so we saw the ten plagues. We saw them cross the Red Sea. But after they cross the Red Sea, there's almost a natural division. Because instead of putting the attention on Pharaoh, it now puts the attention on the people of Israel. How did they respond to God? How did they respond in their daily lives? And unfortunately, we've seen that their tendency to complain. By the way, it's not just the Israelite people. We all have the default of complaining. We all have the default that if we have nothing else to say, we just talk about the bad things. That's our default for some reason. Instead of turning around and saying what's good, what's right. When we get into a situation, our default is to complain about it. Our default is not to prey on it unless we've developed the habit of it. So once again, we come to the book of Exodus chapter 17. And we can see another opportunity for the people to succeed. Will they succeed during this trial? Well, let's see what happens. Notice with me Exodus chapter 17. Exodus chapter 17, and notice with me in verse number 1. And all of the congregation of the children of Israel journeyed from the wilderness of sin. After their journeys, according to the commandment of the Lord, pitched in Rephidim, and there was no water for the people to drink. Wherefore, the people did chide with Moses and said, Give us water that we may drink. And Moses said unto them, Why chide ye with me? Wherefore do ye tempt the Lord? And the people thirsted there for water. And the people murmured against Moses and said, Wherefore is this that thou hast brought us up out of Egypt to kill us and our children and our cattle with thirst. And Moses cried unto the Lord, saying, What shall I do unto this people? They be almost ready to stone me. And the Lord said unto Moses, Go on before the people, and take with thee the elders of Israel, and thy rod wherewith thou smotest the river. Take in thy hand and go. Behold, I will stand before thee, there upon the rock of in Horeb, and thou shalt smite the rock, and there shall come water out of it, and the people may drink. And Moses did so in the sight of the elders of Israel. And he called the name of the place Messiah and Meribah because of the chiding of the children of Israel, because they tempted the Lord, saying, Is the Lord among us or not. And if you're in the habit of marking things in your Bible, would you mark a phrase that we find in Exodus chapter 17? Exodus chapter 17 in verse number 6. Notice the phrase, smite the rock. Smite 
the rock. And with the Lord's help, we want to preach on this picture here. Smite the rock. If you don't mind, let's go to the Lord together and let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you again for you being a wonderful God. You are the great God of the universe, the God who's able to provide for us. And Lord, I thank you that you not only provide natural water, but you also provide living water that will never diminish nor go away. And I'm thankful that you provided it through your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm asking that you would help this message to be clear, let it be simple, let it be easily understood. And that if there's someone out here that has never accepted Jesus, that has never received this living water, that they'd be gladly receive it today and have that eternal life that flows through it. And in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. As we come to the book of Exodus chapter number 17, we've already seen how God has provided. Without a doubt, God has provided. Remember, three months ago, God had opened up the Red Sea. One of the most major miracles of all of history was the opening of the Red Sea. That is such a big miracle that we're still talking about it today. But all throughout Hebrew history, if they ever needed remembrance that God is powerful, they would always point back to the Red Sea parting. What a wonderful deliverance that God made. But then, it just took three months, three months for the people to start complaining. Three months for them to say, God is not good. God is not right. God, we're hungry and we're going to starve to death. Why do you hate me so? Three months before they are accusing God for allowing them to die. Why would God go through all of this effort to deliver them just to kill them out in the wilderness? And so we saw that God had allowed them, allowed them not to have food and how they were going to deal with it. And he encouraged them, why didn't you pray? Why didn't you pray? So now he puts up another trial. He puts up another thing. How are they going to respond? Will they pray? What are they going to do? The first thing I want to show you here is dealing with no water. Dealing with no water. Now, of course, remember, they're traveling through the desert. And so there is not nice little oasises everywhere they're going. There's not a Walmart. There's not a quick trip. They can't get Slurpees from 7-Eleven. They're stuck. And remember that there's two and a half million of them. That's a lot of water. That's two and a half million people. It's not counting their livestock that they have with them. There's a lot of thirsty people. And so notice with me in verse number one as it describes where they're at in location in history. And all of the congregation of the children of Israel journeyed from the wilderness of sin after their journey according to the command of the Lord pitched in Rephidim and there was no water for the people to drink. Wherefore, so because of this, the people did chide with Moses. Notice that word chide. It is used three times. It's used twice here in verse number two. And then once again, this whole area is named because of this chiding. In verse number seven, it has the word chide in here. The word chide, because it's carried so much, let's kind of define it. The word chide carries the idea to find fault in anger. To find fault in anger. So what happens is they go up to Moses And they're yelling at him in anger and frustration. Moses, I thought you thought better of us. Why, Moses, do you want us to die? Why does the Lord want us to die? 
And so here it's not even a nice little thing. Moses, we need water. They're going to him in anger and yelling at him and accusing him, finding fault in him. It's your fault, Moses. Notice this in verse number two. Wherefore did the people chide with Moses and said, give us water that we may drink. Remember, you got to put the emotion in here. It's not like, Moses, can you give us water to drink? They're in anger. Moses, give us. This has the idea that they want to forcibly make him do something. Give us water to drink that we may drink. And Moses said unto them, why chide with me? Ye with me, wherefore do you tempt the Lord? Now they're coming to him in anger and he's trying to say, guys, you are in the wrong here. You don't want to aggravate God. I'm just his representative. Think about what God has done for you. And the people thirsted there for water. And the people murmured against God, Moses. Now remember how long, how the, bad this is. In verse 4, it talks about Moses says, they're ready to stone me. Now, I don't think Moses was given to exaggeration. Moses is coming to the Lord and said, they're really angry. I mean, they're so upset, they're talking about stoning me. Now think about this. In the last several months, they have watched Moses stand before Pharaoh. In the last several months, they have watched Moses tell Pharaoh to obey God or plagues are going to happen and plague after plague after plague happen. And yet, they have the audacity to go to Moses and threaten his life. Now, of course, the Hebrew people after this loved Moses. But the two and a half million people that lived here at this time, Moses was not their favorite person. They talked about killing Moses several times. By the way, this is why I named this whole series The Blessings of Leadership. Moses spent the next 40 years being threatened, being yelled at, being chided at, and yet people say they want to be in charge. Help yourself. Here they're yelling at him all the time. And Moses is on their side. The best friend that they have is the man of God in their life. He's trying to help them. He's trying to encourage them. And how do they respond? If they don't have their way, they get angry with him. So much that they actually thought about stoning him. It's pretty bad. And Moses is saying, God... I know they're not praying. I know they're, they're ready to string me up. He's trying to say, why are you doing this? And so he finally, verse number three, and the people thirsted there for water. And the people murmured against Moses and said, wherefore is that that thou hast brought us out of Egypt to kill us and our children with our cattle with thirst? You know, there's something about disgruntled people that they think the man of God is trying to hurt them so much that they're going to survival instinct and their idea is if I kill the man of God, I can survive. If I can get rid of the man of God, my life will be better. That's people's default, by the way. When all else fails, blame the preacher. And so they're angry. They're upset. They are willing to get rid of the man of God in order for their life to be better. And Moses knows that they're thinking about it. They're murmuring, complaining. I mean, you want to talk about paranoia. Can you imagine being in the midst of two and a half million people that now want to string you up? That's hard. To have a whole nation that hates you and are willing to do anything they can to get rid of you. That's rough. 
Very rough. Verse number four, and Moses cried unto the Lord. He responded right. He didn't yell at the people. I bet you he felt like it. He tried to talk him out of it. But he went to the Lord instead of complaining. He went to God and cried unto the Lord and said, What shall I do unto this people? They be almost ready to stone me. Now at this time, they don't know. Moses doesn't know they're going to wander for 40 years. They think they're just taking a little side trip. What would happen if you think in this first couple months you told Moses that he had to lead these complaining people who wanted to kill him over and over for the next 40 years? You think maybe he would have just uh, given up that job? That's why God doesn't tell us about the future from time to time. We can't handle it. Especially in the midst of hard times. That's why he doesn't tell us. Moses, let me give you good news. You're going to leave these people in the wilderness for 40 years with no food and water ready available except for what I provide. <laughs> I'm going to sneak up in the middle of the night and they can find someone else. <laughs> I'll save them a trip. So Moses goes to the Lord and he prays. So we're dealing with the idea of no water. So how's God going to take care of this? The next thing we have is the rock hidden with water. The rock with hidden water. The rock with hidden water. Notice with me verse 5. So God had a plan the whole time. All they had to do was ask and he would have provided. And God is a miracle working God. Notice what he does. The Lord said unto Moses, Go on before the people and take thee the elders of Israel. And thy rod whereth thou smotest the river and take in thy hand and go. Behold, I will stand before thee. Notice this. Notice the pronouns. I, who's speaking? God. I, God, will stand before thee, Moses. So God, Moses, you go up there, but don't worry, you're not by yourself. I'm with you. I'm right there with you. I'm so glad that God goes with us in the midst of when we have to face the people. Notice he says, I'll go on with you. I'll be there with you. And he says, there in the rock of Horeb, and thou shalt smite the rock, and there shall come water out of it that the people may drink. And Moses did so in the sight of the elders of the people. So here's Moses. He goes up to the rock of Horeb. He has the leadership of Israel. And he says, watch this. And he smites the rock. The rock splits open. And water comes pouring out. By the way, this is going to be their base camp of operations. Mount Horeb is Mount Sinai. And so they're at the Holy Mount. They're going to be camped out here for a while. And here's this rock in the middle of the desert that's pouring out water that's going to provide for them. Remember, I gave you the statistics earlier. But in order to take care of two and a half million people and all of their animals, it would require 11 million gallons a day. 11 million gallons a day. And out in the middle of the desert, from this rock, God provided the water for them day after day after day with no water source. It's not coming from the mountains. They're in the middle of the desert. In fact, this is the middle of Saudi Arabia. If you've ever seen pictures of Saudi Arabia, there's not a lot of water out there. Here in the midst of it, God has allowed water to supernaturally, miraculously come from a water, from a water source to feed them day after day after day. And it didn't run out. Think about that. With 11 million gallons being drunk a day and it's not running out this water that supernaturally was able to provide for them day after day after day by the way this is a clear picture of jesus christ this is one of those foreshadows this is one of those events because who is jesus he is our rock that he was smote once and because he was smote 
what happened is that living water came out and we could drink from it freely forever because of what Jesus did. In fact, let me show you where Jesus describes it himself. Turn with me if you don't mind, and this is where we're going to end up in the gospel record of John chapter 4. The gospel record of John chapter 4. And we have here Christ with the living water. Now remember, a lot of the things that are done in the book of Exodus are going to be pictures of Jesus Christ. What they're trying to do is trying to show the Old Testament people, the Hebrew people, all of these pictures of what God can do. That God could smite the rock and give living water. God can provide supernaturally. All of these are shadows of things to come. Pictures of who Jesus Christ is. Well, we find ourselves in John chapter number 4. And notice in this very famous story, everyone's heard it here, dealing with the woman at the well. But notice with me, if you don't mind, John chapter 4. Notice with me starting at verse 1. When therefore the Lord knew how the Pharisees had heard that Jesus made and baptized more disciples than John, though Jesus himself baptized not but his disciples, he left Judea and departed again to Galilee. And he must needs go through Samaria. Now here we understand the map. That in the New Testament days, you had the bottom part of, the, of what we would call Israel. That would be Judah. Now Galilee would be near the Sea of Galilee on the very north. In between Galilee and Judea would be a nation called Samaria. Now Samaria is important because during the Assyrian destruction of the northern kingdom in 722 B.C., what happened is that they left just the poorest people of Israel behind. And they transported other people that they conquered and put them into the northern kingdom. Well, after a while, those people intermingled and they married. And for the Hebrew people, the pure Jewish people, God's people, they looked at the Samaritans as half-breeds. Because the Hebrew people, they were taught in their mind that Gentiles were nothing more than dogs. And that they are God's chosen people. And so the Gentiles had their place. They're nothing more but dogs. But worse than the dogs was the half-breeds. The people who violated their Hebrew heritage. Their Jewish heritage. Or their, um, their promises that God made. And they intermingled it with those dogs. And came up with some mongrel breed. And so because of that, there was an antagonistic uh, thing between the Samaritans and the Hebrew people. So much so that if someone was going to travel, a regular Hebrew person, a Jewish person, was going to travel from Galilee, from the north, and travel to Judea, instead of going straight south and going through Samaria, they would cross the Jordan River and go out of their way, all the way around, so they wouldn't have to go see these half-breed mongrel people. And so here's Jesus... Who says, boys, we're in Galilee, we're going to Jerusalem, but we're going through Samaria. What? No Hebrew person in his right mind will go through Samaria. I mean, these are half-breeds. Jesus says, nope, I must needs go through Samaria. Boys, this is where we're going. I have an appointment. All right, you're the boss. Verse number five. Then cometh he, Jesus, to a city of Samaria, which is called Sychar, near the parcel of ground that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. Now Jacob's well was there, Jesus therefore being wearied with his journey. Did you know that Jesus got tired? He did. He was in a human body and he got tired. Thus sat at the well, and this was at the sixth hour. Now here we have the location and we have the time frame. Remember that the Hebrew clock began at six o'clock in the morning. So the first hour would be seven, the second hour would be eight, the third hour would be 
um, 9 o'clock, the sixth hour would be high noon. Now, remember that this is also a desert. So if you had to go get water, now remember, this isn't like Timmy's well that had a little bucket that you would put down and bring up. This would be a huge cistern that would be dug deep into the ground and there would be little steps that would be carved in. And so someone who would carry water, they would put the bucket on their head and they're pretty good at balancing. Some of you need to practice that, right? Put a bucket in your head and see how well. And they would walk down the stairs and go down and carry all of this stuff. And so if you're in the middle of the desert and you had to get water, when would you choose to go get water? Well, probably at the very early morning when it's the coolest or very late at night when the sun set. Not at high noon. So Jesus is sitting by this well at high noon. And verse number seven, there cometh a woman of Samaria to draw water. Now, this woman comes at high noon. Why? Well, we know later about her character is that she had previously had five husbands, but she has divorced them all, and now she's living with a guy that she's not married with. And so the rest of the town talk about her. Now, can you imagine a bunch of lost women who happen to have someone like this in their town? They're going to talk about her all the time. And so in order to avoid all the gossip and the murmuring, she chose to come at the hottest part of the day for the purpose to avoid all the murmuring, all the clatter, all the gossip. Because it was that bad. It, because of her lifestyle. Right or wrong or indifferent, that's how it was. And so she's coming at high noon. She has to get water. A desert society has to survive off water. And so she's coming. And as she comes to the well expecting it to be empty, there's a guy there. And not just a guy, a Hebrew guy. Well, she's still got to get water. So you can almost imagine her trying to be small and almost like, please, I'm invisible, I'm invisible, I'm invisible. Please don't talk to me. Please don't. But then he talks to her. There goes that. He says, give me to drink. For his disciples were gone out of the way to the city to buy meat. Now, she's probably glad there wasn't a crowd of people, just this one guy. But he spoke to her. But not only spoke to her, he said, give me some water. Now, to her, this blew her mind because the Hebrew people hate the Samaritans so much they wouldn't drink after them. I mean, they got bad Samaritan cooties. You can't touch them. Uh, they'll give you all the Samaritan germs and the, you'll be unclean because of them. So she's surprised by this. So she answers him, verse number nine. Then saith the woman of Samaria unto him, How is it that thou, being a Jew, askest drink of me, which am a woman of Samaria? For the Jews have no dealings with the Samaritans. So she brings up objection. Why are you even talking to me? Most of you Jews look down at us. You don't have any deal. You ask of me a drink? What's wrong? Verse number 10. Jesus answered and said unto him, If thou knewest the gift of God and who it is, that saith to thee, giveth to, thee dr giveth to drink, then thou wouldest ask of him, and he would have given thee living water. Now notice, there are two things this woman did not know about Jesus. There are two things she did not know. First of all, she did not know what the gift of God was. And she didn't know who Jesus is. And so for the rest of the passage and the rest of the conversation, Jesus is going to bring her to the knowledge of these two things what the gift of God is, and who Jesus is. Everything in the conversation is bringing her to the knowledge of what these two things are. 
Now, in order to entice her, he's using an illustration of what she has. She's here to fetch water, and she goes, if you know who I was, if you knew what the gift of God was, you'd be asking of me for living water. Well, because she's going to get water, well, this is an interesting conversation. What do you mean living water? And so now she's asking questions of verse number 11. The woman saith unto him, Sir, thou hast nothing to draw from, and the well is deep. From whence hast thou living water? Art thou greater than our father Jacob, which gave us this well, and drank there of himself, and his children, and his cattle? Now she looks at him strange. All right, you say you got this living water, but you don't have any buckets. You don't have anything. How are you going to go get down here and go get this water and give to me? It doesn't make sense. Tell me, are you greater than Jacob? What are you talking about? So Jesus says, verse number 13, And Jesus answered and said unto her, Whosoever drinketh of this water shall thirst again. For example, I have water here. And as much as I would like, if I drink this and it refreshes me, I will get thirsty again. All right? This only satisfies probably just for a couple of minutes. That's it. But Jesus says, if you had the water that I want to give to you, you'll never thirst again. Notice verse 14. But whosoever drinketh of this water that I shall give him shall never thirst. But the water that I shall give him shall be in him a well of water springing up into everlasting life. You know the water that Jesus was able to give is everlasting life. How did we get this water? Because the rock had to be struck. Jesus Christ lived the same life that you and I lived and praise the Lord for it. But his life was not enough. He had to die. He had to be put on a cruel cross. His blood had to be shed. And then he was buried on a borrowed tomb. But that wasn't the end. On the third day he rose again. When he rose again it proved two things. It proved that he was God and it proved that God was satisfied with the payment that Jesus made. That because of Jesus Christ we have everlasting life. And when you accept Jesus Christ as your Savior, the Holy Spirit of God, who is God, comes to live inside of me. And that he will refresh me. I always have what God has for me because of it. I'll never... Oh God, the dead of hell ever again. I will always have everlasting life. In fact, the book of Hebrews chapter 1 explains that he is my seal unto the day of redemption. It was a seal. It was a proof. It was a stamp on it that showed that, uh, that a receipt of something that was to come. And that because the Holy Spirit sealed me to the day of redemption, God says, all right, I have this seal. I'm going to come back and keep my promise. I'm going to keep my word. It's a contract. The Bible says that it is our earnest in the Hebrews chapter 1, the Holy Spirit coming into us. It is our earnest payment, meaning God gave this payment in advance through the Holy Spirit to prove to us that he was going to, that he was honest in doing what he said he was going to do. That's what the Holy Spirit does. The Holy Spirit gives us his everlasting life because of Jesus Christ. It is the water refreshing in us forever and ever. There never be a time where you use up all the Holy Spirit inside of you. That's a blessing. You're never, it's never going to run a gas. It's never going to stop giving that refreshing water. You will always have everlasting life because of the Holy Spirit that is poured into you. Because Jesus Christ, the rock, was struck. Now, because of this, he explains that you could have this everlasting life 
But there are some things that need to be explained before you could have this. Now we enticed her. He said there's everlasting life. You could have this water that never runs dry. But there are some things that we need to cover first. Notice as Jesus deals with her. The woman saith unto him, Sir, give me this water that I thirst not, and come hither to drink. May I pause right here? There's an old saying that you could lead a horse to water, but you can't make it drink. But you could put salt in its oats. What we're supposed to do is make people thirsty. We're supposed to live a life in such a way that people are thirsty. Now this woman is thirsty. Now he can deal with her because she wants this everlasting life. He could deal with her with the things that are required in order for her to have this everlasting life. Notice what he does first. He points out that she is a sinner. Now, no one likes this message, but she has to point out this. Verse number 17, or verse 16. Jesus saith unto her, Go, call thy husband, and come hither. The woman answered and said, I have no husband. Jesus saith unto her, Thou was well said, I have no husband, for thou hast had five husbands, and he whom thou now hast is not thy husband, and that Sayest thou truly. So he points out that she's a sinner. Ma'am, go get your husband. I don't have a husband. He says, you're right. In fact, you've had five husbands and the guy you're shacking up with is not your husband. She's very conscious of her sin. In fact, that's why she's coming at noon to avoid everyone else talking about her sin. She's a sinner. Now, before anyone could have this everlasting life, they have to realize that they're a sinner. And because of your sin, that you have offended a righteous, holy God. Now, she doesn't like this conversation, so she changes the subject. But notice as Jesus masterfully brings the subject back to it. She says, no, 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 let's talk about worship. Let's, uh, let's ask another question, verse number 19. The woman saith unto her, him, Sir, I perceive that thou art a prophet. Our fathers worshipped in this mountain, and ye say in Jerusalem is the place where men ought to worship. Now, notice she's changing the subject. And he said, hey, you know what? People talk about worshiping God. The Samaritans say that we could worship here, but you say, now not Jesus himself, but the Hebrew people, the Hebrew people, you guys say that we only have to go to Jerusalem. We have to go to the temple to worship God. Now, we say we can worship wherever we want. Now, Jesus takes this and says, you know what? Let me tell you about worship. Verse number 21. Jesus saith unto her, Woman, believe me, the hour cometh when ye shall neither in this mountain nor at Jerusalem worship the Father. So Jesus is taking the subject back to him. Say, listen, you don't need that location to worship God. Let me tell you this. Verse number 22. Ye worship, ye know not what. We know what we worship for salvation is of the Jews. Now, again, I want to dissect this subject and go through the whole thing. There's so much into it. But let me just briefly say that salvation is offered to us because of the promises God made to the Hebrew people. That most of us in here are Gentiles. But when God, Jesus died on the cross, he died for the Hebrew people. But his blood was enough that it paid for all of our sins. Jesus dying on the cross was the satisfying of the promises God made to the Hebrew people. So that's why it says salvation is of the Jews. It's not saying it's for the Jewish people only, but it, become, it comes out of the promises God made to the Hebrew people. And that we all get to enjoy that. Isn't that a blessing? I'm glad that Jesus' blood was enough and not just for a certain people or a certain amount of people. It was for everyone. Notice as it goes on. But the 
verse 23, But the hour cometh, and now is, when true worshipers shall worship the Father in spirit and truth. For this Father seeketh such to worship him. God is a spirit, and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and truth. I'll cover that in a different message some other time, but this is wonderful stuff. Verse number 25, The woman saith unto him, I know that Messiah cometh, which is now called Christ, and when he has come, he will tell us all things. Verse 26, Jesus saith unto her, I that speak unto thee am he. You know what happened there? Salvation. What is salvation? It is the understanding because of the revelation of who Jesus Christ is. It's the moment where you truly know who he is. And she met Jesus. It wasn't a prayer. A prayer doesn't save you. Jesus saves you. It wasn't an intellectual understanding of facts. It was the revelation of who Christ was. That's him. Remember, at the very beginning, there were two questions that she did not know. She did not know what the gift of God was. What is the gift of God? Romans 6, 23. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. That Jesus Christ paid our price and he did it for free to give us everlasting life. That's what the gift of God is. The gift of God is because I deserve hell, Jesus paid it on my price. What's the second thing she didn't know? Who Jesus was. And the moment she realized that she was a sinner and her sin had offended a holy righteous God, and the moment that Jesus revealed himself to her, she accepted it. That is salvation. That meeting with Jesus Christ, the person. Oh, what a wonderful moment that is. I hope that you have had that moment. That moment where you understood who Christ was and you took him for yourself. He opened his arms to you and said, I'm here! It's me! And you gladly received him. Remember, salvation is not a plan. It is a person. And that person is Jesus Christ. Now, her life immediately was affected. Notice in verse 27. And upon this came his disciples and marveled that he talked with this woman. Yet no man saith, what seekest thou or why talkest thou? So his disciples come back at the end of the conversation. As always happens, he's bringing her to uh, salvation. She just gets saved. They come back and they're talking and you imagine one of them go, wait, who's he talking to? But nobody went and dared to ask Jesus who he was talking to, but they talked among themselves. Why is he talking to that lady? What in the world's going on? What, happened? what do we miss? Why in the world? And so they're talking among themselves. Isn't it always that way? Just when we have a great victory, Satan sends something in there to try to take away that joy, that victory. Woohoo! Someone got saved! That's wonderful. <laughs> they're, they're here. Now notice... Verse 28, and the woman then left her water pot. So she left what she was coming to do and took off running back into town and went her way into the city and said to the men, she started going in there and going, guys, I just talked to a guy. Verse 29, come and see a man that told me all things that I ever did. Is this not the Christ? Is this not him? This is the one that we're talking about. Now remember, he just pointed out her sin, but you know what? When you get saved, you realize that you are a complete sinner. We don't have to name each one of your sins. You realize that you are a sinner. And that you're full of sins. He told me everything I did. He told me that I was a sinner. And I was a wretch. But this is the guy who just went to. Uh, go see him for yourself. She's so excited about it. 
by the way, that change of life should do something in you. Verse number 30. And they, the men of the city, went out of the city and came to him. Uh, we want to see what this crazy lady's talking about. This, she met the Christ. She met this Messiah. I want to go see him. 31. In the meanwhile, his disciples prayed him, saying, Master, eat. Now remember, he's tired. He hasn't eaten for a while. The disciples know that. And they're trying to eat something. And he says, but he said unto them, I have meat to eat that you know not of. Let me tell you, when you see someone know Christ as your Savior, oh, that just feeds you for a while. Oh, there's nothing like that spiritual meal. Verse 33, therefore saith the disciples one to another, hath any man brought him anything to eat? Again, they miss the thing. They don't understand what he's talking about. Verse 34, Jesus saith to them, my meat is to do the will of him that sent me and to finish his work. Say not ye that there are four months and then cometh harvest. Behold, I say unto you, lift up your eyes and look on the fields, for they are white already to harvest. Let's go ahead and jump down. Verse 39, and many of the Samaritans of that city believed on him. Why? For the saying of the woman which testified. He told me all that I ever did. So when the Samaritans heard were come unto him, they besought him that he would tarry with them. And he abode there three days. So here's the city his disciples didn't want to come in. Now they're stuck there for three days. But he's in there witnessing to people. Verse 41, and many more believed because of his own word. And said to the woman, Now we believe not because of thy saying, for we have heard him ourselves, and know that this indeed is the Christ, the Savior of the world. Notice how differently they treat the woman now. Before she was a pariah. Before she was isolated. And now they are accepting her. We know this Christ. This change of life that has happened. And why? Because Jesus is offering a well of water of eternal life. Because the rock was struck, we now can have this eternal life in a thirsty land and we could have it forever because of what Jesus Christ did. Remember, what happened in Moses' day was a picture of what Jesus Christ was to do. What a wonderful testimony that Jesus is talking to her about this living water that was available to her. And by the way, God provided water for those Hebrew people in the desert to feed 11 million, or 11 million gallons a day. And he provided it day after day after day. In fact, you go back and look how many of those 40 years was spent here at the Sinai area. And every time they went, they had this water and God provided for them. Aren't you glad that we have a God, or God whose salvation doesn't run out? Aren't you glad that when you come to him, you say, oh, no, I'm sorry, the last person can accept it. I'm sorry, you're out of luck. Aren't you glad it's not an idea where he says, no, I'm sorry, there's not enough for you. But there is room on the cross for you. It doesn't matter who you are of how much you did. Jesus is willing to give you this eternal life. When you recognize that you're a sinner and because of your sin you've offended a holy righteous God. But that Jesus died for you and the moment that he reveals himself to you, you accept him. That's what salvation is. Salvation is understanding who Christ is and you grabbing him for yourself. Understanding this picture of Christ. Remember, it all begins with God. It all ends with God. God is the goal. It's all about him. And he provides us living water. Thank you for listening to this audio message. This is Pastor Scotty Bockhaus, and I encourage you to take this information that you just received and make a specific decision to follow after the Lord. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, let me beg you to take the time 
to receive Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. If you are saved, I encourage you to make a decision in your life to help you get closer with the Lord. If there's anything specific we can do to be a blessing or to pray for you, we encourage you. Look us up on the internet at riverviewbc.com. Once again, that's riverviewbc.com. Or if you would prefer to call us, you can give us a call at area code 920 Five three zero six three oh eight. Once again, that number is nine two zero five three zero six three oh eight. If there's anything we can do to be a blessing or an encouragement to you, please let us know. We would love to make ourselves available. Thank you.